The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Lower Decks, The Inner Fight. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, Folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We have more of your fantastic listener feedback. Uh, Be sure to get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt by visiting sqpn.com slash merch with a great design that uh, is a lot of fun. And another show on the StarQuest Network I'm sure you'll enjoy is The Secrets of Star Wars, which you can find wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. So, Jimmy, can we get a recap of what happens in Inner Fight? This week, Mariner has been acting increasingly recklessly. So Captain Freeman needs to keep her safe while she undertakes a sensitive mission related to the mystery ship. Tindy, Talyn, and Boimler thus take Mariner on a mission that they sell as super dangerous, even though it's a completely safe mission to repair a weather satellite. But the mission becomes dangerous when some Klingons destroy their shuttle and they escape with an emergency beam down to the planet the weather satellite is orbiting. The planet is supposed to be uninhabited, but there are many people stranded there who are from races the mystery ship has attacked. Mariner does act completely recklessly, including attacking a Klingon warrior, but she earns his respect and reveals why she's been so reckless. She says that she originally wanted to be a Starfleet captain, and she modeled herself after her classmate, Cedo Jaxa, who appeared in two episodes of Next Gen. But Jaxa was apparently killed by Cardassians after she was stationed on the Enterprise and it shook Mariner's faith. Now she just wants to be an ensign, not a lieutenant, and she's been reckless because she wants to be demoted. The Klingon convinces her that Sito would think she's behaving like an idiot, and Mariner agrees. Mariner then forms a coalition between her fellow Lower Deckers and the castaways on the planet when she's suddenly and unexpectedly beamed away. However, the Coalition modifies the weather station on the planet to become a rescue beacon and activates it. This causes the same Klingon ship that shot them down to come down to the planet and destroy the weather station. But the Coalition is waiting for it, and they break into the ship and seize control. Meanwhile, Captain Freeman pursues her mission to track down a former Starfleet officer before the mystery ship can capture him. The officer is Nick Locarno, who also appeared in Next Gen, including in an episode with Cedo Jaxa. Cedo Jaxa. In fact, Cedo Jaxa was a member of his disgraced flight squadron back then. Captain Freeman, Rutherford, and Shax go to a Moss Eisley planet, a wretched scum uh, hive of scum and villainy, <laughs> and they try to buy information on Locarno's location, but they seemingly fail, and the information is bought by a masked bounty hunter instead. Only it turns out this was part of Captain Freeman's plan. The masked bounty hunter is really Billups in disguise, so they use the information to go to Locarno's last known location, only to discover that he's behind the mystery ship. Finally, Mariner wakes up on the mystery ship, and Nick Locarno greets her and says, we're going to cause some trouble together. The end. (laughs) (laughs) So, overall impressions, Father Corey? This this was a great episode. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, there's a lot a lot of stuff going on, as Jimmy you know mentioned in his summary. I mean, it it was for twenty twenty five minutes worth of actual 
episode, it was packed. I mean, there's things constantly going. Uh, Mariner was at her most wired, but it was, you know, it's great again to see some development of the character, including the callback to the original Lower Decks episode of TNG. Um, and things like that. Uh, it was just, it was the, the whole bait and switch with, with the, uh, the uh, information broker and all that was, was great. You know, the, the captain, you know, playing, you know, clueless Starfleet. And then they actually had the whole plan to get the information. It, it really was a, a very well done episode. I, I really enjoyed this. How about you, Jimmy? Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I particularly enjoyed the references to Cito Jaxa and Nick Locarno. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both in the episode that Father Corey mentioned, named Lower Decks from the Next Generation. I'm sorry, let me revise. They were in. They were both in an episode called The First Duty, right? Which was a Wesley is in Starfleet Academy episode where they go back to visit Wesley. And he's been part of a flight crew called Nova Squadron that performed an illegal maneuver, resulting in the death of one of the members of the crew. And the question is, the first duty is to the truth. And so the question is, are any of them going to come forward and admit what they did? Because the telemetry they have won't quite prove it. And Nick Locarno, a.k.a. Tom Paris, (laughs) um does does not want to admit it he wants to he wants to you know bluff his way through the situation since they don't have proof of what happened which is frankly a little unbelievable um but uh in the end locarno takes the takes the fall and uh he's like sentenced to a prison colony in australia or something for 2 years and he's played by robert duncan mcneil and he was the pattern that they based um that they based tom paris on he was meant to be tom paris but f- because they didn't want to pay the writers who created nick lacarno royalties mm-hmm. on that character they just changed his name and put him in a prison colony in Australia for two years. And and thus we got Tom Paris. And so I particularly enjoyed, I was waiting to see when we finally see Nick Locarno, is Robert Duncan McNeil voice acting him? And he was. Yeah. And I, I really love that they've brought back Robert Duncan McNeil playing Nick Locarno instead of Tom Paris. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope next I hope next episode at some point Mariner says, Why do you sound like Tom Paris? <laughs> right. Why do you look and sound like Tom Paris? Actually, I'm waiting for Nick Locarno to complain that Tom Paris took his place that he should have had on on Voyager or something along yeah. those lines. <laughs> that, that would be great. Yeah. But then Cito Jaxa, who was a Bajoran, she was a young Bajoran woman, she was in she was also part of Nova Squadron along with Nick mm-hmm. and Wesley and a couple other guys. Um and then they brought her back. In the, yep. epi- in the episode Lower Decks of Next Gen, which is sort of the template for this show. Yes. I love you that know. they did that. And and so she was a Lower Decker on the Enterprise, and Picard specifically had requested, after the Nova Squadron debacle, mm-hmm. he had requested that she be assigned to the Enterprise so he could give her a chance. Right. And she ends up being assigned to this mission on the Cardassian border. She's got a pretend to be a prisoner of this Cardassian agent so that the agent can get back Mm -hmm. across the Cardassian border. And she's been like surgically beat up. So she's got like a black eye to look like he roughed her up. Um, And she's supposed to, they have this 
plot to exfiltrate her um where she likes going to get in a tube or a, a photon torpedo or something for a while and hang out and wait to be rescued in space after he gets across the border and that ends up not happening mm-hmm. and so the the episode ends on this somber note of she apparently as a lower decker sacrificed her life yep. for the cause of peace but we've never seen the body and if you don't <laughs> see the body it death it, there is no death so mm. I'm suspecting we may see Cito Jackson next episode, which I think would be awesome. That would be wild. I do love the fact that they connect this, you know, very intentionally with the the TNG episode that was the inspiration for this mm-hmm. se- series the, uh, through Cito Jackson. I do love that. Um, I, I I agree with both of you. I really like this episode. There's lots to love. There's a quote from Mike McMahon, the creator, the showrunner for for the series. He says that the last couple of episodes for this season are a big swing. So this one mm-hmm. and the next. And I am really proud of them and I cannot wait for you to see them. We held them off from the press because I don't want to have a breath of what happens in them to get out. And it mm. just feels like the ultimate Star Trek, the excuse me, the ultimate lower decks. And that's great. I mean, it explains why they haven't given us the titles, but it's just it's I, awesome. I, I thought you said in the quote, not just the ultimate lower decks, but ultimate Star Trek. Yeah, he right. says the ultimate Star Trek, the ultimate lower decks, like they, together. Mm-hmm. And they and so really this one, it felt like there was some depth to it. There was some character introspection by Mariner. Um, there was lots of action, lots of humor and all of the characteristics of the best lower decks episodes uh, in it. So I was really pleased with it. Um, we should start with that title the the inner fight which is a reference to one of perhaps one of the most popular tng episodes ever the inner light that's the mm-hmm. one where picard gets uh gets his flute he ends up living a lifetime in a moment in the bottle you know uh where he gets yep. uh, on an alien planet um i recently rewatched that and i wasn't that impressed with it i think it was the kind emotional of, was kind of content. kind of depressing actually I think that's what it was, though. I think it touched people uh, on an emotional level to see Picard right. have a life with a family that he didn't, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't, you know, so we, the the path not taken sort of story. I think that's what. Right. Well, I, I remember people... that. I remember that. And I remember liking it very much the first time I saw it. But on rewatch, I didn't think it held up. Mm. Well, and, and the idea, too, of course, that it was a, you know, a planet that had, had died years mm-hmm. ago. You know, right. centuries ago, actually, if I remember correctly. But but yeah, it was uh, it, I mean, it, it's I guess I, I I never saw it as this, you know, great episode, just enjoyable episode, mm-hmm. but not a great episode. I think it hits different the first time you see it when you don't know what's coming mm-hmm. and some things don't work as well on the rewatch. Uh, so that might be possible. So we start this episode with some outpost scientists. This was a, a bit mm-hmm. of a little fun interlude. Uh, where they're on this planet where the these hostile little lizards called tremble lizards are venomous they're, tremble lizards yeah they have blood that's uh uh acid and one bite will make your eyeballs pop out <laughs> it's like well, just touching them will make it because it's their skin is covered in in a, a toxin right makes your eyeballs pop out and they've got this fence up this little force field fence and then the fence come, goes down and the lizards attack and mariner runs outside recklessly and uh, saves the day through her recklessness. Although the, the chief scientist at the end is like, it's knocked down by like the lizard jumps off of Mariner's back onto him. 
and he's he's out of screen and goes, "Oh, my eyeballs!" And they're like, "Ew." Yeah, I thought the that was things was real. <laughs> oh, I, I love the line from Mariners like, "Why don't you join Starfleet where you can meet an alien a week?" <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked in that scene that uh, they have animated Vasquez rocks in the background oh. of the research station. Yes. So that was a nice, nice Easter egg. Right, right. The the, the perennial location shoot uh, location. Um, yeah. So uh, and afterwards we get this. The, the, the captain, Captain Freeman calls together the other lower deckers minus uh, uh, Mariner. And, you know, says it's another violent mission with with uh, Mariner like she's everyone has noticed how she's keeps throwing herself into danger and she's taking huge risks uh, more and more ever since Ferenginar, which was a couple episodes mm-hmm. ago where she had a bit of a sort of a revelation or, you know, a, yep. a, a little bit of internal crisis. Well, there was the conversation with her, her friend, her Frankie friend Cam. about her. How, you know, he's she's succeeding. She's, you know, she's been promoted again and and now she's trying to hijack it. And, you know, she's I think she's having kind of a a struggle with that mentally. You know, why is she doing this? Right. Yeah, I was I was hoping that that was going to be the peak of this arc, but it wasn't. Um, I was hoping she was going to settle down after Quimp had that talk with her and said, you're acting crazy. You need to you need to reevaluate your priorities. And then she didn't. Right. And she just became even more reckless. (laughs) And I I, I, it's I I think it's good that they're dealing with this aspect of her personality, but they need to move on in this character arc. I I think that's what happens here. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that that's what happens yeah. over this episode and and the new episode this week. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she's able to reconcile. I don't need to buck against this the way I have been. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's I kind of get the feeling you know the idea was after Franginar she does reevaluate her priorities and her priorities are I'm going to double down on getting <laughs> demoted or or something bad happening or yeah, yeah or something bad happening. But then this this in this episode she real reveals why she's fighting it so strongly. So uh, meanwhile, Freeman moves on to the briefing of the upcoming missions. The, uh, this, the, the mystery airships of the 1890s uh, are, sorry, the mystery starship (laughs) has moved on from targeting non-Starfleet ships to targeting ex-Starfleet officers. How we know this is never revealed, but the, the ones that they've, they've determined are that are next up on our list are seven of nine Beverly Crusher, Thomas Riker and Nick Lacarno. And, mm-hmm. you know, it would be fun to see Seven and, and Bev in, in the lower decks. That would be cool, but we're not going to get them. And, and Thomas Riker. Yeah, which, absolutely. Which is a confirmation of that, right, that Thomas Riker has survived to this point. Uh, the last we saw yep. him was in DS9, where he's being hauled off to prison. Because uh, so, he stole the Defiant. Because he stole the Defiant. Uh, so we have two criminals here uh, in this list. And uh, Nick Lacarno, which... Um, you know, when I saw the list, I like okay, Nick Lacarno is the is is the key mm-hmm. to whatever's going on here. Um, mm-hmm. So, and they've been assigned to Nick Lacarno, who has be- after his prison time has become a pilot for hire, apparently. So, to distract Mariner from this dangerous mission, they've assigned her and the other lower deckers to a routine weather buoy repair mission. Which, as we know in Starfleet, there are no such thing as routine <laughs> missions, and because uh, <laughs> they find a Klingon something tampering with it. For some reason, and the the big thing is is this planet where the weather buoy is. This is where the mystery starship has been dumping the upper officers, the upper decks right. 
officers, the senior officers of these various starships. Um, cause mm-hmm. that's, cause we get a, uh, I think one of the Ferengis talk about how their lower deckers on their ships conspired against them. So yep. presumably, and the, the, and the other, and the other crews agree that, yeah, this is, this is the same thing that happened on our ship. So I'm wondering if this is what Locarno has planned, mm-hmm. you know, lower deckers re- re- uh, revolting against senior officers. And he's going to try to convince Mariner to join his plan because she's a lower decker at heart, right? She just revealed yep. that she doesn't want to be promoted. She wants to be a lower decker forever. So Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So um, to Lynn. Uh, and is among them, and they're they're stuck on the this awful planet, which has uh, constant lightning storms and glass storms, where glass rains from the sky. Uh, I like that. That's that's yeah. actually something that we know. Things like that happen on various other planets in outside of our solar system, including rains of diamond and you know various mm-hmm. other things we talked about that in the episode of mysterious world on the government acid conspiracy that's right and <laughs> so it was nice to see that bit of actual science you can have a planet where glass falls out of the sky like rain and stabs people yes. yeah um uh, Mariner refers to it as stupid knife rain. <laughs> I also like a bit when they first beam down on the planet, Mariner is being belligerent and yelling to whoever is out there to, you know, to come and attack them. And she says, bring it. And Talyn says, perhaps we should seek shelter before anything is brought. <laughs> and, and Mariner says, you're right. Shelter will give us the upper hand. <laughs> yeah. well, and then when they, they fight the uh, Ferengi and Cardassian, um, Talyn takes down the Cardassian with a neck pinch. And when Mariner says, I could have taken him, Talyn responds, I have no doubt you would have tried. I'm like, yeah. burn! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good burn. So I like Dylan. Um, and then so Mariner sneaks off in the night. Uh, you know, they go, they take shelter in the tree, this big tree. And uh, Mariner sneaks off in the night and gets in a fight with the Klingon who has been, mm-hmm. who's everyone down there is afraid of, apparently. He's the Klingon captain from the, the Bird yeah. of Prey. That had been. Well, uh, we, we we first we first see him where the uh, one of the the Romulans and one of the Frangi are, are are fighting, and it's it's a ruse to try to get him into a trap. And they basically right. dig up do a pit with a, some spikes, pit. and of yeah. course he sets he steps into it. it's not deep enough for him to fall in, but he steps into it and gets his foot caught. I like that on lower decks they've returned to the Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country tradition of what Klingon blood looks like. Yes, mm-hmm. because it's not actually red, which is how they always showed it in Deep Space Nine. And it's like, no, no, no. We are from our the first time we saw Klingon blood in Star Trek Six. It's pink. Yes, yep. it's it's pink, which is <clears throat> uh, funny. Uh, so she and the Klingon get in a fight. They have to take shelter from the knife rain. The glass knife rain, and uh, they end up bonding. And uh, she tells the Klingon, she, you know, this heart from the heart talk where she, you know, I don't want a promotion. She got it. I, she didn't want it. She can't get rid of it. And then tells the story of Cedo Jackson, who apparently she was friends with in the academy. Mm-hmm. Is that what yeah, she was saying? Yeah, because yeah. that's yep. quite a long time ago. No, right. not really. Um, so the, the, the original Lord X episode was 2370, and then this is 2383. So this is only 13 years after that. And we figured Mariner was in her 30s. 
So that would fit oh. perfectly. And Mariners bumped up and down the ranks several times. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this so, is not as late as the Picard seasons we oh, just no, saw. Oh, no, 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 no. That's this like, is right after Voyager. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right, just uh, keeping that straight in my mind. Uh, so, yeah, so this is, yeah, so that, that that actually works out. The timing works out very well for that, which, by the way, means she also knew Nick Locarno. Mm-hmm. Right. At the Academy as well. Right. Which is why Nick can greet her as familiarly as, as he does. Right. Right. So is this also around the same time as Prodigy? Just to keep my mind straight. It's it's uh, a little before Prodigy, if I'm right. not mistaken. Okay. Of all the post-TNGs, Lower Decks is the earliest. Gotcha. Yep. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Um, so when she's talking about this, uh, you know, Cedo Jaxo, she's revealing that this whole idea that she joined Starfleet to be an explorer. I want to become a captain of a starship. And Cito's death, you know, it was, launches this period of the Dominion War and where Starfleet has become soldiers and mm-hmm. warriors. And she doesn't want to be like she says, I don't want to be a general. I don't want to send my friends off yeah. to die. And this is sort of the ex- this is also came up in Ferenginar. This is sort of the existential crisis of Star Trek itself, which is, might be what Mike McMahon is talking about, which is. Right. Struggling with the nature of Starfleet. Are we primarily an exploration organization or are we primarily a military organization? And well, it's, it, and that's always kind of been a laugh of, you know, of uh, uh, that Roddenberry would say, oh, yeah, well, Starfleet isn't actually military, except they have rank and heavily armed web, heavily armed ships and carry <laughs> phasers. And but it, but it is that balance, though, that that they're mm-hmm. trying to do is they they are supposed to be exploratory. They are supposed to be you know, going to strange new worlds, but they keep getting drawn into these wars. Yeah. And of course that's going to affect those who are uh, in the wars. Right. Basically, I mean, Roddenberry's not a military thing is something he tried to sell with next gen, but it was always nonsense. They clearly right. are a military, um, but they also do exploration. And I mean, that's anything, what they prefer. That's what they prefer to do because they're basically right. surrogates for how Americans see themselves. It's like we're not out here to fight anybody. We're not out here to conquer anybody. We're here to be nice. We're going to maintain trade routes and stuff like that. Which actually, America does. It's because of America that you have the global the globalization of trade. And now that America is pulling back a little bit. The sea, sea lanes are not going to be as protected as they were, mm-hmm. and there is there there are people who are talking about an era of deglobalization, mm. right. where global trade is not going to be as common because America is not going to be patrolling the sea lanes and keeping the peace the way it has, and so Starfleet views itself a lot like um, the American Navy, only with more exploring to do. I would say, right. for me, I would say the, the closest comparison would be the British Navy of the early 19th century, late 18th century. We had the vast differences, a vast empire mm-hmm. to patrol, captains out exploring, enforcing, you know, showing the flag, enforcing the the, sea, the laws as... The, well, yeah, except they were much more imperialistic than, than we are. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they were they, like, let's let's boldly go to new unexplored lands and claim them. Well, yeah. Starfleet does, or the Federation does make colonies, so they do, they do that. They, do. <laughs> they don't they find colonize. colonize. 
They don't yeah. colonize already populated planets. <laughs> right. right. That's true. That's true. Uh, but I was, by analogy, it's I say it's among the closest uh, analogies because of the relative independence of the captains as well. They, you know, in the, mm-hmm. the, the lack of communication, they're out there. They're both exploring and, and you know, fighting the French well, mostly. Well, it's, it's interesting that at the same time, you know, we're having this discussion here on your, in the Star Trek universe, in the Star Wars universe, Ahsoka, the TV series Ahsoka had a very similar conversation going back to Clone Wars, where the Jedi were peacekeepers. That's their whole purpose. They're basically a police force, you know, more or less. I mean, obviously more than that, but they were peacekeepers. But they had to learn how to become warriors and generals. Ahsoka trained how to be a general and a warrior and now has to learn how to be a peacekeeper. Right. A Jedi. Yeah. And that was part of the conflict with Clone Wars and going into the Ahsoka series that just wrapped up. It's interesting. It seems to be something in the zeitgeist of the age of this, this mm-hmm. con- because America has just come out of basically, I don't know if we're out of it yet, but 20 years of combat we're in the still Middle East. kind of in, in wars yeah. in the Middle East. And that's a whole political argument. We really right. don't, we don't get want to get into it, but it sort of informs the psychological a background for these stories for Hollywood. Which, well, for Hollywood, yeah. right. For these stories. Um, so it's kind of an interesting aspect, but I like the idea that Mariner wants to be explore a peaceful explorer. She doesn't want to have to mm-hmm. fight wars that, you know, th- th- I like the Starfleet ideal. I mean, yes, they defend. I mean, I, I like how Kirk handled it. I like that era. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll kick the, Klingon butt if we have to, but you know, we like also go strange new worlds and that sort of thing. And I like that balance. And I feel like I like Deep Space Nine, but I feel like Deep Space Nine and then the movies, the Picard, the, the, the TNG movies shifted the balance somewhat and it mm-hmm. became more violent in conflict about conflict. Um, and I kind of want to get back to the classic Star Trek. And, and Voyager kind of did, but. Yeah, it did it by standing behind consoles for most of the <laughs> right, right, right. And lower decks is is it, you know it's fun, and I think that's one of the things we love about it. I don't, I don't know that I see it that way. Um, I, I think that the whole we're a bunch of we're a bunch of explorers, not a military, was a blip. And if you if you look at the material before and after that blip, which is principally the first few seasons of TNG. It's it's a straightforward functional military mm-hmm. that has other duties, and that's fine. I like the other duties. I don't want us to be. I don't want this to just be a big war show. Yeah. Um, right. On the other hand, so I don't. I, I don't. I don't view. I mean, different shows have different complexions and focus on different things. I think they're all part of Star Trek. I don't think we need to say, oh, that's not really Star Trek. Sure. Um, But in terms of Mariner's dynamic, as someone who was in this early TN, she was in the Academy early in TNG, very optimistic age, and then the Borg happen, and then the Mm -hmm. Dominion happens, and then Starfleet is forced to become more militaristic in its approach. I can see her saying, that's not what I signed up for, Mm. and I don't want that, and my friend died, and now I have survivor guilt. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. I think it's all believable psychologically. Now, since this is a comedy show, she carries it to extremes, yeah. but um, and in her acting out. But I think it's fine in terms of a psychological dynamic for this character. Yeah. And then we see the the turn here in her personality because, well, at the end of that, uh, the general, the Klingon, or not general, the Klingon, uh, 
basically tells her you're you're dishonoring the memory of your friend because you're you're not you know it's not that he he thinks being a warrior is bad obviously but he's not she's mariner's not living up to cedo jackso's memory by being the way right. she is so and he, so he calls her on it which is the best klingon tradition she, klingon tells the truth like it is and uh i think that's she died she died so that you could go find even plants Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and I, I think that was great. And I think he's right. Sita was she was way too together to in too responsible to endorse what Mariner's doing now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Mariner turns because next time a opportunity for conflict comes up when they're they're trying to get to that that um satellite ground station to to, mm-hmm. to put up the distress signal and they're confronted by all the other uh stranded people. The uh, Mariner tries to use the Starfleet way to resolve conflict. So instead of using violence, he tries to negotiate. It doesn't go very well. Uh, it goes it, fair, just yeah. not as well. Yeah. And she gets yanked away in the middle of it. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then uh, I did like how there's like the Orion crew that's there and they're like, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to fall for your Starfleet tricks. And they're about to attack. And then Tendi jumps forward and uses her title as mistress of the Winter constellations to stop them from attacking Mariner, which I thought was great. I like yeah, that. It's like, stand down. You're out of line. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, mistress. Don't kill us. Uh, so I did, I did like that. Um, so yeah, Mariner is beamed away. Uh, and then we have like this B plot of Freeman going to this other planet to track down Locarno. They end up in Mud's bar, Harry mm-hmm. Mud, uh, which is fun, where they can't Maybe. get in, uh, which that was fun. Um, where the uh, the they have to talk to this information broker they, once they once they finally do get in, who it looks just like Baylock, which is the puppet from Corporate Might Maneuver that that Baylock uses to to be intimidating because yep. he looks like a baby. Um, and then and uh, again, I love the lower decks subverting expectations. We expect it to be Baylock the puppet, and she, and so does Freeman, and she grabs it and starts like. Like swinging around, it. yeah, and it turns out no, it's actually a little alien with little legs and stuff. Put me yeah. down, put me down. I thought well, that was it moves hysterical. very mechanic. It moves very mechanically. Like at one point, it short circuits. Yeah, and yeah. But it's, it's like, a, oh yeah, this is a robot. No, nope, no, it really isn't. It's a person. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, I'm gonna sell my information on Lucardo to somebody else, and uh, it sells it to the the Billups disguised as a the uh, bounty hunter. I don't I don't want to take a lot of time to discuss this subplot because, yeah, it, you know, we kind of already have. But um, one thing I liked is at the beginning of the subplot, when they arrive on the Moss Eisley planet, Captain Freeman is like, I, I, I forget exactly what she said, but it's like I aced my course on dealing with scoundrels and rogues, yeah. you know, in the academy. So I've got this. And it turns out and then she's we see this series of events where she seems to fail at every turn. Only to learn that this is a distraction for her yeah. actual plot where and she, and she's actually orchestrated all this perfectly. And I like that they mm-hmm. show Captain Freeman actually being an expert in how to get information <laughs> out of this kind of people. Right. Well, it's like even from the beginning, when they first show up on the planet, they park like right in the flight corridor to get onto the planet. Yes. And, you know, of course, they get told, you know, go to the moon because we got, you know, shuttles every three hours. <laughs> um, but then the 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 bounty hunter literally flies right through the nacelles 
of the Cerritos and, and on. And that was all part of the plan from the beginning. Right. Because, yeah. of course, that was Billups. I like when she, they show up and then she's telling everyone about how it's so lawless or no rules. And then the traffic control is like, you're breaking the rules. You need to go park over there. But <laughs> that moon. Yeah. And they, they're parked and, in the middle of the freeway. Yeah. You need to find somewhere else. And they <laughs> sullenly fly off. If a, if a starship can fly sullenly and chastened, the Cerritos did. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it turns out Mariner's been abducted by Nick Locarno. He's the one who's been behind this mystery starship ship all along which is fun and we we have this return of robert duncan mcneil who in his career to this point has mainly been behind the camera in various uh, productions he hasn't done mm-hmm. a lot of on-screen work so uh or post voyager yeah post voyager yeah. uh but so it's nice to have him although he's been robert duncan mcneil has been tom paris on lower decks uh-huh. uh yep. but uh we we get him uh, as nick lacarno that great, great episode where Boimler was at his cringiest. Yes, yes. Fanboying. Um, any other notes on this episode, Father Corey? So there's a, a symbol you see on the, the Klingon ship and then on uh, Nick Lacarno's jacket, where it's it's a circle with lines, five lines. And that's it, the, the Covord starburst, which was the, the, the trick that they did that caused the accident at the Academy. Oh, so Nick has taken that as his symbol for whatever he's doing. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. So. Excellent. Uh, anything else? Oh, that's it. Uh, Jimmy? I wonder if this ship is, gonna, the mystery ship is going to have some kind of future tech. Because when um, when Mariner wakes up in it, she's in this very minimalist environment. Mm-hmm. And she even says, what the minimalist hell? And so it's like this is markedly different than other Starfleet ships in how it looks, even on the inside. And usually minimalism on Star Trek equals farther into the future. Right. So I wonder if this has some kind of future tech in it. I also wonder if this is going to connect up because this is not the first shady ship design thing we've seen on Lower Decks. uh, uh, Rutherford has a That's whole right. chunk of his memory missing where Starfleet higher ups were using him for some kind of uh, covert ship design stuff. And I wonder if this is going to hook up to that in any way. Mm, that's interesting. I don't know that it will, but yeah. it, it, I wonder it. Well, it's still kind of floating out there because mm-hmm. I think isn't uh alternate Boimler, a replicator, replic- uh, transporter clone Boimler still floating out there too. He's on, I assume he's still on the Titan. No, he, cause he got taken by area, uh, section 30, section 31. Oh, okay. Right. right. Will it all come back to a section 31 plot, which entirely possible. It'll be interesting to see. They got to wrap it all up in uh, 30 minutes or so. <laughs> or give week. us a, or give us a season cliffhanger. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Cliffhanger. Um, all right. Excellent. So another excellent episode. Uh, and a cliffhanger to for the finale coming up. Uh, I did promise we have some feedback, so uh, let's start with that. Uh, this is feedback on our last episode, the Caves episode. Kara on our Discord uh, shared, I was surprised you guys didn't mention the Voyager episode Parturation in the discussion of Rutherford's storyline with Dr. Tana. Well, maybe not that surprised since it is a season two Voyager episode. It's Tom <laughs> and Neelix ha- keeping a baby alive while trapped in a cave, so a real callback to the cave baby plotline. 
I do think that this was the better retelling since we didn't have that weird romantic tension, you know, uh, romantic triangle over Kess in the background. Great episode as usual. Thank you, Kara. Yeah, I didn't mention that because I have no memory of that episode. Yeah, <laughs> I have not. I, I have not focused on second season Voyager very much. I, I, obviously, I wasn't here for that discussion, and I probably wouldn't have remembered it either. So, <laughs> in fact, when when Dom read the 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 feedbacks, like, oh yeah, now I now I remember that episode existed. <laughs> right, and that was very that was very much a Voyager episode, and that's all you can say about it. I remember the the the, the tension between uh, Neelix and in oh, Paris. Yeah, it was very creepy. But uh, other than that, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember the A-Baby thing in a cave. Uh, so good memory, Kara. Uh, our next feedback comes from Eric, who sent this email. Wow, where to start? So many Easter eggs in this episode. Too many to count. A callback to Baylock and the corporate might maneuver again, subverting expectations as he was not a puppet this te- time. Great juxtaposition. I could go on, but what I really noticed was the animation artwork. Many parallels to great sci-fi works and also shout outs to previous Star Trek episodes. First, the scene where the Lower Deckers hide in a tree is clearly reminiscent of Jurassic Park. The this, this scene where the Lower Deckers arrive on the forest planet is taken from a Voyager episode, Once Upon a Time, with Flotter. Another one that I blocked out. The scenery is pretty close. <clears throat> also, I think they took a bit from Star Wars Episode 2 with the shuttle arrival scene. Maybe even a bit from Firefly. They're pulling out all the stops for this penultimate episode, even a callback to Nick Nick Lacarno. I've enclosed some screenshots backing up my claims. So tell Jimmy I have empirical evidence supporting my theories. (laughs) Well, thank you for providing the evidence. And actually, I I don't know that I agree on every single specific you mentioned, but I agree on that they are doing something different with the animation in this episode where they're deliberately trying to evoke other sci-fi shows. Um, the, when I saw the shuttle arrival at, um, at the Moss Eisley planet in this, it's like, that's like that scene from Star Wars episode two. And Mm -hmm. I also noticed other aspects of the animation in this reminded me of animated Star Wars that I've seen. So I, I agree. I think they're doing deliberate call outs to other, other series with this. Yeah, the, the, the Jurassic Park, I didn't catch it when I watched the episode, but when you mentioned that, I, I remember it where in the original movie where they're they're up on the planet and it, they wake up and the sun's rising and you see the, the dinosaurs, the long neck dinosaurs and then, know, the, then they waking get, up. and yeah. yeah, and then they get covered with brontosaurus snot. Yep, <laughs> yes. exactly. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's a great catch. And, and I, I, I did notice the animation too, especially the scene between Mariner and the Klingon captain in the cave. It was animated just a little bit differently where it had the similar look, but it, it felt a little bit different, almost more like an anime style animation. There was just mm. there, there was something about the motion and the camera angles and things like that that was just a little different than normal lower decks. And, and like I said, it, you know, like the Klingon captain sitting in the back kind of hunched over struck me as like, you know, uh, you know, like a wizened warrior in anime, things mm. like that. So there, there, there were, they were doing things in my opinion, just from what I could see in this to kind of play a little bit. And I, I think it was kind of a, and like, like you said, at the beginning of the show, Dom, he, he did, uh, the showrunner did say that they did, they were doing things that this very different than other lower decks. So it's interesting to see, be interesting to find out, you know, from him, what they, what they were planning on this episode. Right. Right. So uh, thank you, Eric, for the email, and thank you uh, both for, for sending in your feedback. 
Uh, now we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Michael H., Thomas H., Marco P., Father John R., and John S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of the inner fight? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Or you can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia and leave a comment there. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the season finale of season four of Lower Decks. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, teach me how to tap dance, Beverly Crusher. <laughs> <laughs>